as we talk about extravagant generosity. And Paul is talking here at the very end of Philippians chapter 4. The very end of Philippians chapter 4, he's saying, I am content with all things. And he's thanking the Philippian church for their generosity and how much they have poured out into his life and ministry. And he says, but it's not just because of your generosity and what you've given to me that I'm content. I have learned to be content in all things because I've learned that God wants to use my life to impact and be a blessing to others. And that's where we're going today. How can God use us? How can God use our lives? How can God use our circumstances to be a blessing to those around us? Because we don't, we don't live in an island all by ourselves. We live, in unity. We live in, a, in relationships with those around us, our neighbors, our co-workers, our family. Sometimes those family members we don't really want to see. God brings them back into our lives. We don't live in that bubble. We are always to be used, always be mindful of the eternal impact and the, the kingdom impact we're supposed to be having around us. So as we look at that this morning, with the idea that with Christmas coming and with, with, the whole, with, with all that's going on around us and the decorations and the food and all the busyness that's getting ready to come into our lives, thinking how can we if we had been the recipient of so much generosity from God, if we'd been the recipient of all of His blessings and His grace, how can we then be His instrument to pour out that blessing into others? And the temptation is there to become self-centered, to just think of only about ourselves and to think about my needs, my wants, my desires, those things as opposed to how God wants to use us to others, as we think again about Christmas. And this is a time of, where we think about giving. We think, think about taking special offerings, and we'll talk about that in a little bit as well. We're, we're thinking about uh, how can we be involved in others' lives, whether it's through Christmas tree, uh, the angel trees, and, and uh, Samaritan's Purse, and all these different things that are around us that are trying to get our attention and get a hold of our wallets. Really, it's about how can God use us to impact others? And yes, we'll be talking about some financial generosity this morning, but it goes much further beyond that. Being generous with our lives, being generous with our time, being generous with our, our Regina was talking about praying for those around us in our community, praying for those in our church. As we, and I'm serious, when we get those prayer requests that come in every week, our leadership team sits down and we pray for each and every one of those. Because we want to see you blessed during the week. We want to be engaged in a part of your lives during the week. And that can't happen unless we know what's going on in your lives. But we're going to look this morning at the six attitudes, which hopefully will help to increase our generosity. Let's dig, dig into this this morning. Because I know you said six. Here's a hard time getting through three. They'll be good. They'll be go fast. All right. Number one, we're going to take a look at Paul's gratitude here. Look at verse chapter 4, verse 10. What is it that Paul says here? He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Because once again, you renewed your care for me. You were, in fact, concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. Paul says here, Philippian church, I'm so thankful for you. Philippian church, you have once again showed your generosity toward me and my needs and my ministry. This attitude of gratitude that he, he exhibits, it just seems to exude from him. He doesn't say, I deserved it. Or, I'm not saying thank you, so just send more. He says, I am truly thankful for you. 
when we served overseas as missionaries for a number of years, every, every month, every month, every month, we would get a, re- a report from all the different churches that supported us around the United States. And every month, we would try to send a letter back, thank you for your continued support. Thank you for what you did, because if, we, if, we were not, if they were not involved in our, we could not have stayed on the mission field. And we were truly thankful for the, all the support that we received. In fact, for this church, founded in 1958 as Mount States Baptist Temple, then eventually changed its name to Mount States Baptist Church, and now again, you know, next month we're going to be officially launching Grace Life Church as the next phase of what this church's development. We have given over $1.5 million over the past 60 years. I don't have the exact number, but I just kind of did a quick math take based on how many missionaries we supported and how over the course of 60, 61 years. Over $1.5 million that this little church has given to our missionaries overseas. That's just the missionaries. That's not counting the other projects, the other things locally that we've done, or the other special offerings that we've taken up. That's just the regular monthly support that we've been involved and engaged in the lives of missionaries around the world, advancing the cause of the gospel. And those missionaries, I can tell you, are so, so thankful, much like Paul. Maintaining this attitude of gratitude, saying, not thinking that we deserve it, but looking upon again. Once again, you renewed your care for me. Once again, you struck your, you, 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 you reached out and you sent money. You sent to support. You sent people to help. This church had been ongoing, involved, ongoingly, I don't know if that's the right word. We'll say, we'll go with it. We're ongoingly involved. I'm not an English major, as you can tell. They've been involved in his ministry over and over and over again. And he says, I, not that I want to call you out and to pat your back, but I want you to know what you're doing for me and for our ministry has served to advance the kingdom, has served to advance the gospel. As we give, as we take part in our missionaries' lives, as we give in other projects around us, as we give to those special offerings, as we give and we, we get engaged and involved in people's lives. It should be as if from an outpouring of the grace that we have received, deserve hell, we who deserve God's punishment, received His hand of mercy and grace, generosity into the community as well. Number two, look at verse 11 here. He's talking about being content. He says, I don't say this out of, out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. Can we say that? Is it hard for us to say that I find myself content in whatever circumstances I find myself? He goes on in verse 12. I, don't, I know how both to make do with little and how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. See, what Paul is saying here is that contentment, learning contentment, it's this rare jewel in our Christian walk. This rare thing that we have, a, people as a whole, he understands, we have a hard time being content. We always want more, want more, want more. It's, you watch commercials on TV? They tell you about, about all the things you don't have. More thing, you can be content. You'll be happy. Sandwich. If you have this thing, you'll be content. Self-sufficiency. 
It's not being content with what we have. It's our contentment in Christ, believing that Christ is enough. When we believe that Christ is enough, we will be content with whatever circumstance we are in. Look what he says there in verse 12. I know how to make do with a little. I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned to the secret of being content. Because it's Christ that brings you true contentment, not his stuff. See, Paul's not learned that contentment is not connected to our circumstances. If we only find our contentment based on our circumstances, based on the job we have, based on how much food is in our refrigerator, based on the clothes we have, based on whatever is going on around us, we will never be content. Never be content. Because there's always somebody else out there who appears more content than we are, right? There's always somebody else, some other thing, something else out there that we need to find our true contentment. Paul says, stuff does not bring this deeper satisfaction. But it doesn't make us happy. And he says there too, he says, it's a learned thing. Look what he says. For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. And he goes down there in verse 11. I have learned the secret of being content. It's a learned thing. It doesn't happen naturally. It does not just come naturally. I don't know about you. I am still a learner. I am still a learner of God's word. I'm still a learner of what it means to walk in Christ every single day. I'm still learning because I'm a sinner, just like you and, and everybody else around us. I still struggle every single day. I am learning myself to find contentment. I'm learning myself to be a better pastor. I'm learning myself to be that better husband and father that I need to be. I am still a learner. Hopefully never, none of us ever falls out of that. It's not fun to be a learner. I'd much rather just have it come, right? Paul says it's a learned thing. He said, I knew he knows a purple cloth. Wealthier people in that town. He had this woman involved in the church in 411. He says, up to the present hour, we are weary and thirsty. We are poorly clothed, roughly treated, homeless. We labor, working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. Does this sound like fun? Paul's going, hello? Life is not always easy. He goes on in 2 Corinthians 6. Instead, as God's ministers, we commend ourselves in everything. By great endurance, by afflictions, by hardships, by difficulties, by beatings, by imprisonments, by riots, by labors, by sleepless nights, by times of hunger. Hello, life is not easy for this man. But in spite of all those things, in spite of whether things were going well because Lydia and others were supporting his ministry or things were going tough because of the riots and imprisonments and beatings and all that stuff, that I have learned to be content. Where is it that we learn the lessons of God? Is it on the high hills, the high mountain peaks, where everything's going well? Or do we learn about faith and about the difficult lessons of God down in the valleys where we have no other recourse but to say, God, please help. In those valleys where we, we say, we, it's no longer about myself, it's no longer about my abilities, but no longer about my self-sufficiency, where I have to turn to God and say, God, it is all about you. Please help. Joel Osteen and some of the other preachers and would have us believe that it's biblical for all of our lives to always go easy. Healthy, wealthy, and wise. If you're 
If you have health and wealth, then you are all good. They, that shows that you're in the middle of God's will. It's, it's not the case. It's not the case. First Timothy 6, 9 says, Those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, there's nothing wrong with having wealth. There's nothing wrong with having money. There's nothing wrong with having a great... Nothing wrong with that. What is Paul saying here when he writes to Timothy? All else is where we find ourselves falling into sin. It's not where I learn my lessons about who God is. I learn my lessons about who God is. I grow in my faith when I struggle. I grow in my faith when I am down on my knees before God and I'm saying, God, I need your help. It cannot. It is not about me. It is all about you. But it's also just as destructive to find ourselves in we are all of woe is me. I'm just a worm all the time. Instead of recognizing who we are in Christ, that is just as destructive for our spirit as seeking after wealth and, and glory and fame as seeking out the other end as well. Lord, I just can never do anything right. And viewing yourself not as Christ views you, but viewing yourself as Satan wants us to view ourselves and always be kicking ourselves when we're down. See, God came to free us from both of these things. Jesus came to free us from both of these things. When he stepped into my life, he steps into our life, he brings in a new re- uh, realization of who I am in Christ. It's no longer as if I'm just a worm. It's about seeing myself as this precious creature tent when I see myself as God sees me, around me as God sees me. And that's why he can say in verse 13, that famous verse, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That verse has been taken so out of context. I can climb this mountain. I can do this. I can do that because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's only when we view ourselves, when we see ourselves as God views us, and we are engaged in his ministry and engaged in where he wants us to be, then we can do all things. He Not just physically, but also spiritually. I can set aside my sin. I can set aside my passions. I can set those things aside because Christ is changing me and I can become what God wants me to be through Christ. It flows, this peace, this contentment, it flows from our union and our communion with Christ. The more we spend time with Him, the less we worry about all those externals. The more we spend time meeting with Him as our best friend, the less all these external things tend to bother us. I don't know about you guys, but those times in my life when I neglect God's Word, I neglect the body of Christ, I neglect my prayer life, all these things come in like a dark cloud. And I begin worrying about these things that I can't worry about any longer. I, I begin worrying about life. I begin worrying about finances. I begin worrying about my kids in school. I worry about my wife. I worry about my extended family. I worry about all these things that I can't control. Because Christ is no longer the center. But as we spend time communing with God, we get on our knees, we spend time in His Word, 
then all these other things are put in perspective. Maybe right now you're thinking to yourself, that's me. I mean, this is the end of the year. Tax season's getting ready to come up. I'm going to have to start paying taxes. Uh, I got uh, extra bills coming up. Christmas is an expensive time. I'm spending an extra three, four, five, ten thousand dollars on on Christmas presents this year. If you're spending ten thousand dollars on Christmas presents, I want to come be in your family. Um, but we're spending a lot more money this time of year on, on parties and on gifts and other stuff. And all of a sudden, those credit card bills come in January. Satan wants to get us frustrated and just let the waves of frustration and anxiety flow in. What Paul is saying here says, I can be content in every situation in my life through the power of Christ, not through the power within me. I can find contentment in Christ. I can find, and when I find contentment in Christ, I find that no longer, I'm no longer worried about how much or how little is in here but I want to be God's instrument of generosity and looking for ways and means so I can be a blessing to others around me, so I can find ways to generously give to those around me, those who are, who are truly in need. In our lifestyle that we live, we are not in need. <laughs> look at our giving, look at our opportunities as a means of gospel partnership, partnering with those around us, partnering with those that we are giving to. There's a relationship there. Look at verse 14. Paul says, still, you did well by what? By partnering with me in my hardship. And you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except for you alone. For even in Thessalonica, Thessalonica you sent gifts to my needs several times. He says, you did well to partner with me in your giving. Again, is when we were missionaries, we never viewed our supporting churches as banks, as just a checking account. We viewed them as our partners in ministry. And I can tell you that our missionaries that we support, the prices, the workmen's, the, uh, the I'm going to blank on their names in England. Anyway, the nine Perkins and others, they view us as partners in their mission in their in their mission they're partners in their ministries that god has taken them to whether it's in england or in south africa or in australia or in greece the democracies or in bolivia with the prices and all the stuff frustrations they have going on there we are partners in the ministry we can't go there physically we are living here but we send our support there, and we are partnering with them. As we pray for them, we are partnering with them. And that's what Paul is saying here. He says, as you partnered with me, as you sent the finances, as you gave of yourselves, you partnered with what was going on. You weren't just a bank. As you give to our church, as you give to in the ministries here as well, we are, you are partnering with the ministry that God has going, got going on here in Mountain States so that we can be a blessing to those outside. We get calls every week from people. I need help. I need help. I need help. Sometimes we have money in, in the benevolent fund where we can give. Sometimes we don't. We can be a blessing around us only to the extent that we have, that we are. I heard it this week. This isn't a consumer just receiving, just taking, just taking. 
God gave us so many rich blessings and has blessed us mightily so that we can be a blessing to others outside and partner with them. Number four, when we give, we find fruit, fruitfulness is there as well. And Paul is commending them for their fruitfulness. He says in verse 17, not that I seek a gift. Again, he's not saying, I'm thanking you, thanking you, thanking you for your gift so that I can receive another gift. He says, not that I seek a gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. See, when we give to the Lord, it's not just that one-time feel-good moment. I don't just, I write that check and go, oh, yes, I have done my duty. It's not just that one feel-good moment. It's not trying to justify myself. When Paul is saying, when you gave to me, I'm seeking the profit. I'm seeking that you're going to get eternal. You're going to get credit on your eternal account. As we give to our missionaries, as you give to your church, as you give to those around you, and you pour your life into others, it's not just about the here and now. We're pouring into the eternal. Paul very clearly understands here that God's going to provide his needs. Paul knows that God's going to provide his needs. He says, not that I'm seeking another gift from you, church, because God's going to provide my needs, whatever they may be. But I want you to understand that when you give, you're getting a credit in heaven. Maybe not a financial credit, because we're not going to need money in heaven. But there is something going on spiritually here, some kind of interaction here as you give to the Lord's causes, as you give of yourself and you give to what God's, those passions of God, you are getting some kind of credit in heaven as well. One of our core values here is extravagant generosity. And we want to be a church that is generous to those around us. We want to be a church that is generous in giving to the needs of others. Not because we want people to go, oh, look at that great church. Aren't they wonderful? Everything we do, everything we say, Everywhere we go where our name is attached, not to point to this church, but to point to Jesus. I don't call out our missionaries because I want to lift them up as these great servants of God, because, even though they are, because they're doing a great work of God. We point them out so that we can get involved and engage in the ministry so that we can also partner in what's going on. In, in life, we're all told to set up your IRA you're told to set up your individual retirement account, right? We've all got your Roth IRA, you've got your 401k, 403b, whatever it may be, your retirement account is there. But in that's just right here, right now. We can't take that with us. As we give to the Lord, as we are engaged in His purposes and His plans, we're also giving with eternity in mind and investing in our individual eternity accounts. In Matthew 6, he says what? Lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where rust and moth do not destroy. Those things we, do, we lay up for ourselves right here, right now, our clothes, our cars, all those things we try to hoard right now, they're going to be gone. As we give to the Lord's cause, as we invest in people, as we invest in lives, we invest in ministries around the world, we invest in things, the only thing we can take with us to heaven is each other. We can only take us. I can't take this. I can't take these. I can't take the car I'm driving. I can't take my house. I can only take y'all. Invest in what is important. 
and view your giving as not just an act of giving, but as an act of worship. Verse 18, Paul says, I have received everything in full. I have an abundance. I am fully supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering. Listen to this. He says, he calls their, their offering this. He says, this is their gift. A fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice. Verse 1 and 2. We are commanded to give of our lives and offer ourselves up as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable and pleasing to God. He says, when we give, when we give back to God, when we offer ourselves, when we put money in the offering plate, or we give to the missionaries, or we give around to his causes, it's an offering, a sacrifice to God. It's an act of worship to God. It's not just an act that we give to make us feel better. It's an act of worship. As the Israelites in the Old Testament brought their lambs and their, and their goats and their doves and all their animals to the tabernacle, to the temple, to offer them as sacrifices, they went up to God as a sweet incense, as an offering to him. It was their act of worship. In the same way as we give, as we put money in the offering plate, as we give to people around us, as we pour into their lives, it's an offering to God, an act of worship. As the sacrifices were burned up in the Old Testament, the smoke went up. God said, that's a sweet incense. Maybe it didn't smell so good right there in the tabernacle, in the temple, as they were being burned up. But God said, I receive your sacrifice. I receive what you're giving for what it is, an act of worship. Everything about our lives needs to be lived out as an act of worship. Everything, the way we live our lives, the way that we, when we go to work, it also ought to be lived out as an act of worship, step in, stepping out in faith. when we live our lives focused on ourselves, selfishness reigns. Lastly, learn to trust in God's provision through faith. Paul says in verse 19, And my God will supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and, and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. See, the Philippians supplied for Paul's needs. Paul assures them that God's going to supply all of their needs. Met the needs of Paul. Ultimately, it was God meeting the needs of Paul, and Paul understood that. He says, not only are you going to meet my needs, but God's also going to meet your needs. Your needs, not your greed. He meets your needs, not your greed. It would be nice to have that newest phone. It would be nice to have that newest, sharpest set of clothes. It'd be nice to have that newer car or whatever it is out there. Those things that just bling, 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 bling. They're shiny and they get our attention, right? God says, I'm not here to give you the biggest and the best and the nicest stuff. I'm going to give you your daily bread, right? I'm here to meet your needs. In Philippians 4, 6, and 7, talks about thinking about praiseworthy things, those things that are true, those things that are honest, those things that are just, those things that are praiseworthy. We talked about that last week, or two weeks ago, rather. Can we apply that same thinking to our 
needs, when we assume we are lacking in our needs, when we are struggling, still looking upon these things in our lives as challenges in the seminary, living on a very meager salary. One night they were down to 13 cents left in their pockets. Not enough money to even provide toilet paper for their house, which they desperately needed. And as happens from time to time when you're a youth pastor, the kids all get together and they like to toilet paper your house. Anybody ever been there? Anybody been on the throwing end of the toilet paper? Nobody's raising their hand. Nobody wants to admit it. I I was. (laughs) I said my wife. So this youth group came over and they wanted to TP their youth pastor's house, but they had never done it before. They didn't know what to do. So they took one roll, threw it up over the tree, threw it up over the tree, threw it up over the tree. All right, that looks good. And they left their box of toilet paper behind on the front doorstep of this youth pastor and his wife. They rang a doorbell. Kids rang a doorbell and ran off. We got them. This guy walks out of the house and sees God's provision. Not hanging out of his trees. Hanging was what was left over. So they could now go to the bathroom. Regina tells a story about when they were, her dad was a pastor up in Ohio. They had very little food. Somebody came to the door and said, we, have, we, have, we, we need, we don't have enough food for our family. So her mom went into their cupboards and prepared something and gave it to them, left them with almost nothing in their house. And they sat down and prayed, God, you know what our needs are. We need you to provide. And sure enough, a few minutes later, somebody came by, rang the doorbell. Pastor, we have extra. We want you to have some of this. God's provision. God's need. God is the God of infinite supply. Well, the three years that we traveled with raising our supporters as missionaries, and shared a happy meal together, a family of 16. You know, that's missionaries, right? 25 kids. We all went together and shared. We never had to share a happy meal. We each got our own. Okay, I got Big Macs. We never were in want for three and a half years. You know what God told me, taught me through those times? He was going to be there no matter what. He was going to be. He is the God of infinite supply. That my faith and my trust isn't in what is physically in my bank account or what's physically in my wallet. He's going to supply. That's where faith comes in as we live our lives in faith, trusting in Him. Not that life is not going to be difficult. Not that life is not going to be hard. Not that we're going to, not going to go through periods of the valley there where we are forced to go to our knees and say, God, I need your help. But in those times, that's where we feel God's presence. And he says, I am right there with you no matter what. So I'm telling my lesson today is trust in God for his timely provision. Trust in God that he's going to take care of your needs. And don't withhold your worship from him just because it might be a little tough. Don't withhold your worship out of fear for what might come or what might not come. 
this Christmas season. We're going to have opportunities to give. You're going to have opportunities to be a blessing to others. We're going to have opportunities to pour out from our abundance into others, into their periods of lacking. Don't quench the Holy Spirit when he tells you to give. With that said, in three weeks' time, on the 22nd, the Sunday before Christmas, I want to take up a special offering for our missionaries. I'm asking you for between now and the 22nd to pray how God would use you to bless and to partner with those we, that serve overseas, those who serve on our behalf and in partnership with us. So you have three weeks as you are on your knees to reach down deep and say, God, how much do you want me to give? And when you give it to that number in your head, don't go, God, that's a lot of money. Who's the, who's the supplier of infinite needs? God is. How are we to live our life? In faith or in fear? In faith. It's an act of worship, not an act of, I'm going to count, um, uh, check. If God puts a number in your mind as he's doing with me right now, and it's scared me to death. In three weeks, are you still going to be willing to step out in faith and give? support the work of God around the world as we give extravagantly as the body of Christ. I can tell you right now, I don't know where this money is going to come from. And too many zeros. Not enough decimal points. Definitely. But I'm asking you to step out in faith on the 22nd as we take up a special offering for our missionaries. Because God has given, if this Christmas season tells us anything, God has given us the greatest gift in the world, Himself. God has given us the greatest gift in the world, Himself, to redeem mankind back to Himself. How can we not pour out all that we are to give back to Him in worship? 